Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Escape. We're going to devote our energies to sports and gardening, all the cultural pursuits. Meanwhile, we dig. How many are you taking out? 250. 250? Cedric, manufacturer. Griffith, I said, Taylor. Nimon Haynes, diversions. Which one's a forgery? Uh, the both are. It is the sworn duty of all officers to try to escape. So there will be no escapes from this camp. Oh, my God, they phoned Tom. Hold on to yourself, Bartlett. You're 20 feet short. The hole is right here in the open. The guard is between us and the lights.
Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy Cinema Podcast. I'm your host Jimbo, once again joined by... The Escapist, Kyle. Gustavo. Gustavo. Zainer. I can get out of anything. <laughs> as, long as, uh, as long as it's very wide and long and basically a door, I can uh, get out of a door. <laughs> I don't know, I've seen you kind of go through some doors. <laughs> I have gone through some doors. You, you have seen me, you have worked with me, you know what it's like to see me work. In which case it's just like, I just kind of like cram myself into a place like, I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> this is my life. Um... <laughs> So obviously can't tell. We're going to be talking about one of the greatest movies, episode eighty one. This is the Great Escape, another fantastic Great film. Escape. Yeah, uh, just like last week's Shenandoah episode, uh, the Great Escape with an all star cast and everything. So a Kyle, legendary picture, but not legendary the company. Just a legendary picture, right? Go so for it. let's go ahead and give you a question. Question, okay, Jimbo, I'm ready for a question. Two things, two a two parter, two parter. I've never one. Who do you see yourself in this movie? two Mm -hmm. who would you want to be in this movie and three uh, which way would you have taken for the escape at the end which one would you have wanted to escape with at the end who would I? Who would I want to see? No, no. Mean, or how would you want? To, you know, you had the boat, you had the motorcycle, you had the train. Oh, you okay. You mean okay? Bicycle. When they got out of the right. encampment, how would they want to escape? Yeah. Um. Um. Okay. Well, who I see myself as always seems like the most self-deprecating part. <laughs> <laughs> who would I see myself as? I didn't <laughs> see a baker in here. Who was the first guy to die? Um. <laughs> Oh, the boy guy. No. Yeah, exactly. he was, yeah. Who was the guy that never made the camp? That was probably me. <laughs> uh, um, man. Um, man, who, who I honestly would see myself most as, maybe, uh, uh, okay, a little bit hopeful, but also a little bit sincerely, like Donald Pleasance being the forger, um, actually making documents and doing the precise work to kind of like make the documents going. Uh, I could see myself doing some kind of work like that because like it's very tedious yet precise work you can do over time and I'm kind of a, I, I can do that if I need to. So that's, and also like a lot of sitting. Like that sounds like, it sounds like an achievable <laughs> Just goal. Just run up your alley, yeah. <laughs> sounds like a lot of achieve, achievable goal. Um, who I'd want to be was uh, James Garner's character of, uh, uh, what was his name? Henley. Uh, was it Henley? The scout, the scrounger. Oh yeah, the scrounger. Yeah, the scrounger. Yeah, Robert Henley. Yeah, Flight Lieutenant Robert Henley, James Garner's character um just being a a sleuth who can get anything for the for the effort and i really liked his character a lot so that's who i want to be <laughs> jimbo what it was a three-parter you said two-parter you well, but, well, but i said oh how i want to escape right. okay um man <laughs> um Probably to the thing where I like, you know, try and get contact with the French resistance or something like that. Um, try and get in contact with the resistance movement seems like the best. Um, but how are you going to do it? How are you going to get there? Which way to travel? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good at geography. I'm going to follow a sun. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you go east long enough, now you're going west, and I would end up being in a circle. I'd be right back. You'd be camp, right back at the stall line. I just like off. right now, like. <laughs> I would end up going to another concentration camp by accident. And just like, oh no, <laughs> I took a wrong turn. Like, who are you? I'm a transfer, I guess. I'm sorry. <laughs> Put up my hands, be handcuffed. My bad. You got a cooler. <laughs> but uh, yeah, trying to make contact with the resistance movements or whatever I could, and try and get get out that way, hopefully. But um, I, I don't. <laughs> the truth is, it like like even in the film, it looks very difficult. And in reality, I'm sure it was much more difficult. Right. So like. There's no great option for me, right? Because um, this is actually based on a true story. Yes, um, and we'll is. we'll cover some of that in the notes because there's a lot of notes for this this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we won't do a lot of the talk through through the movie. Basically, we'll we'll cover the synopsis and then we'll just go from there. Um, yeah. So do you want to go on the 
Yes, Kyle. Go okay. ahead. Take okay. it away. I'm taking it away. I'm going to do the thing. All right. What do I got? The these are the okay. The Great Escape, released on July fourth, nineteen sixty three, had a budget of three point eight million dollars, the equivalent of a uh, thirty three point four million today. So almost ten times as much today. Um, just uh, the sixties to now was a huge inflation. <laughs> then for the box office, we have a gross of eleven point seven million dollars for the opening weekend, and that'd be equivalent of about one hundred and two point seven million dollars today. So a very good profit for a. Um, a very modestly budgeted film. This is, of course, directed by John Sturgis. Um, writing credits um, include Paul Brickhill for writing the book, and the screen well, the screenplay was adapted by James Clavell and W. R. Burnett. Technical specs: This film has a runtime of two hours and fifty-two minutes, or one hundred and seventy-two minutes for strictly minute people. Next up, we have the production company was the Merchant Company, and it was distributed by United Artists. Aspect ratio is 2.3 by 1, so um, so 23 by 1 aspect ratio for the intent ratio. That was later kind of trimmed down a little bit for um, home releases, specifically for like 60 by 9 and 21 by 9 releases. Sound mix, we have a four-track stereo from the Westrix recording system and a mono system for the home releases. This is a color film um, for a full dynamic range and all that kind of stuff. Um, film length, we have 18 reels in film length. Then going on, we have the, of course, the T, uh, T, um, obituary awards for awards. The Academy Awards of the USA in 1964, we have the awards for nominee for best film editing for Ferris Webster. The Golden Globes, we have the nominee for Golden Globe for best motion picture drama. The DVD exclusive awards in 2005, we have a nominee for best overall DVD of a classic film. And the nominee for best audio commentary new for a DVD. Um, for Stephen J. Rubin. Then we have the Gold Spirits Awards in 2004. It was a nominee for the Gold Spirit Awards for Best Edition of a Classic Soundtrack. And we have the International Film Music Critic Awards in 2005. We have the Best New Release and Re-Release or Re-Recording of an Existing Score. Whoosh. Going forward, we also have the Laurel Awards in 1964. It was a nominee for the Golden Laurel of Top Drama. Top action performance from Steve McQueen and top action performance by James Gardner. Um, they both, uh, James Gardner took fourth place. <laughs> Next up, we have the Moscow International Film Festival of 1963. Um, we have the winner for Best Actor, we have Steve McQueen. And we have a nominee of uh, Grand Prix with the John Sturgis. Going forward, we have the National Board of Review in the USA in 1963. It was a winner for the MBR Award of uh, Top 10 Films. Next up, we have the Writers Guild of America and US of A of 1964. And uh, it was just a winner of that year for Best Film Play Adaptation. Um, oh, Best Written American Drama, especially for James Cavill. That was the um, for award. Going forward, we have the cast. We, of course, have Steve. Oh, we got another fire truck going. We got by some today. audio um, interruptions, folks. Just listen to this clean siren, soothing sounds <laughs> of disaster looming over us all at any given moment, and uh, that's my life. <laughs> okay, going forward to my part, not the dark part, but the cast here. We of course we have the legendary Steve McQueen as Captain Virgil Hiltz, always known as the Cooler King. <laughs> the cooler king. The cooler king. Man, that sounds like a name you'd get in, in college <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. Um, Steve McQueen, of course, a legendary actor. Um, such film as Bullet in 1968. 
the magnificent, the original, the Magnificent Seven in 1960, and the Hunter in 1980. Next up, we have my favorite character, James Garner, playing Flight Lieutenant Robert Henley, um, always known as the Scrounger. Um, of course, he was known in the first films of such films and TV shows like The Rockford Files between 1974 and 1980, and Maverick between 1957 and 1962, and one of my favorite little um, un, uh, underappreciated films, Tank, in 1984. Um, also, films like Space Cowboy and much others. James Garner, legendary actor, love him to death. Next up, we have Richard Attenborough as Squadron Leader Roger Bartlett, otherwise known as Big X. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of great co-names in this movie. Um, he was, of course, in films such as 1993's Jurassic Park, the 1977 film A Bridge Too Far, and the 1948 film Brighton Rock. Next up, we have Charles Bronson as Flight Lieutenant Danny Valensky, also known as the Tunnel King. Um, Charles Bronson is easily best known for his role as uh, in uh, as uh, the main character in Death Wish and that whole series that went on for like I believe like five films I want to say or something like that. Um, pretty legendary series on right. And then we have of course have the Dirty the Dirty Dozen in nineteen sixty seven and Hard Times in nineteen seventy five. Going forward, we have James Donald as the group Captain Ramsey, otherwise known as the SBO. Um, he was in films such as The Small Voice in nineteen forty eight. Broken Journey, also in 1948, and The Cage of Gold in 1958. Next up, we also have Donald Pleasance as Flight Lieutenant Colin Blythe, also known as The Forger. Um, he, of course, best known as playing Dr. Loomis in the Halloween film series. Um, very recently, um, appeared digitally recreated in the Halloween Kills re- reboot um, series. I guess like it's the third reboot of the Halloween series now. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, of course, Dr. Loomis, uh, classic character only. And also, he was a Bond villain in the film You Only Live Twice, in the, released in 1967. And, and going forward, we have James Coburn um, playing the flying officer Louis Sedgwick. Um, also uh, codenamed the manufacturer, the manufacturer, yeah, yeah. manufacturer. I'm gonna try to pronounce that word. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna keep saying it until I say it right. The manufacturer. I, you know, what? that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he, of course, best known for films such as the 1975 Hard Times, the 1963 Charade, and the 2001 film Monsters Inc., where he played Mr. Waternoose. We recently covered that in the podcast. All right. <laughs> Next up, we have Haynes um, Mes- Mesmer as Oberst von Luger, um, also known as the Commandant. Um, he was in such film as the Doctor of Stalingrad in 1958 and the Red Hand in 1960. Um, if I remember correctly, I believe he was also on Doctor Who for a brief stint. I can't remember if I'm not right about that or not. Next up, we have David McCollum as Lieutenant Commander Eric Ashley Pitt, um, codenamed Dispersal. Um, David McCollum was in such um, shows as The Man from Uncle from between 1964 and 1968. Um, he was in the film Mos- Mosquito Squadron in 1969 and The Spy with My Face in 1955. Next up, folks, we have a large cast here, so I'm just keep going through it. We have Gordon Jackson as Flight Lieutenant Andrew McDonald, codenamed Intelligence. He was in such films as Whiskey Galore in 1949. What an excellent name for a film. Whiskey Galore. <laughs> um, I just got to pitch that as a remake for any reason. Just, just have that title. Um, and also in films such as Millions Like Us in 1943 and Run Wild, Run Free in 1969. Next up, we have John Layden as Flight Lieutenant William Willie Dix, best known as another Tunnel King. Um, he was in such a film as Every Day is a Holiday in 1965. 
The Idol in 1966, and It's Trad Dad in 1962. <laughs> you get some good ones on here. Next up, we have Angus Lenny as Flighting Officer um, Archibald, better known as Archie, or um, oh, Archibald Ives, better known as Archie or The Mole, as he's codenamed. He was one of my favorites of this, too. Uh, I, I completely understand that. He was a great character in this film. Um, he was in such films such as The Tunes of Glory in 1960. The Valiant in 1962, and Operation Snatch also in 1962. Going forward, we have Nigel Stock as Flight Lieutenant Dennis Cavendish, otherwise known as The Surveyor. Um, he was in films as The Pickwick Papers in 1985 and Mal- uh, Malta Story in 1953. Going forward, we have Robert Graff as Werner the Ferret. Um, he was in such films as Aren't We Wonderful in 1958, El Hakim, Hakim in 1957, and My School Chum in 1960. Next up, we have Jude Taylor playing Second Lieutenant Goff, the third American in the camp. No, okay. <laughs> um, he was in such films as License to Kill in 1984, The Great Escape 2, The Untold Story in 1988. It's kind of like a side story of like a separate camp, I believe. I haven't seen it myself, but I was looking at the definition of it that way. But there was a, a Great Escape 2. <laughs> Surprise. And City in Fear in 1980. Next up, we have Harry Ribara. Ribara. As uh, Swatchwitch, <laughs> who was the senior NCO amongst the German guards, um, he was played such character. He was in such films as The Body and Themes in 1971, Black Sun in 1966, and The Man with the Glass Eye in 1969. Next up, we have William Russell as Soren. He was in such films as Above Us, The Waves in 1955. Then we have Robert Furtag as Hobson Polson, as uh, he was in the film William Tell in 1960. Then we have Lawrence Montague as Haynes. Uh, he was codenamed Diversions. was one of the escapees. He was in other films such as Escape from Witch Mountain in the original um, release in 1975. And Captain Sinbad in 1963. Next up we have Robert Desmond as Griffith the Tailor. Um, he was a Taylor escapee. He was in such films as The Best of Enemies in 1961. And the sink of Bismarck. Oh, sink the sink the Bismarck in 1960. And next up we have uh, Till Quill as Frick. He was in such film as the Vulture Valley in 1956 and Duel in the Forest in 1958. And then we have Heinz Wise as Kramer. Um, he was in such film as Death of the Jaguar in 1968 and Tread Softly in 18 and 1985. And then we have Tom Adams as. De Nemo, um, better known as Diversions in the book, in the uh, in the movie, and then we have Ulrich Biger as Prison, Hans Reiser as Kuhn, George Michael as the SSS Ostenfuhrer, um, then we have Carl Otto as the Alberter, oh Carl Otto Alberter as SF Ostenfuhrer Steinek, <laughs> and that is the cast of. Um, the Great Escape. <laughs> Kyle, your German may be better than your English. <laughs> Probably is. I wouldn't be surprised. I got some German heritage. I can, I can do it sometimes. Uh, before we go too much, <laughs> before we go further, uh, we did have a review that I said we were going to read last week. I forgot to put it at the beginning of this, so we'll go ahead and uh, read it. This is from October twenty eighth, uh, two thousand twenty one. It's from Yummers eighty eight. Tragedy question mark more like triumph with three exclamation points. Five star review. The only tragedy would not be subscribing to this awesome show. Well, thank, thank you very much. Um, we tried to do, we tried to do our best. Uh, 
sometimes we get a little sidetracked. Sometimes we have a little too much fun. But hey, it's all. It's still a young podcast. We have many, <laughs> we have much room to grow, much room to improve. Always, if you're never improving, you know, then exactly onwards and upwards. You know, if, if we started from the bottom, now we're here. Kyle's and gaining, we're here is Kyle's, to the bottom. Kyle's gaining more confidence. He's feeling more comfortable. So a little bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit. Not in the mirror, but on the podcast. <laughs> you know, my mother always said, "I have a, I have a face for radio." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, let's see what I put up with. So. Uh, basically, this is a tr- uh, based on a true story. Um, the overall synopsis of this movie is all the, I guess you would say, the rebels of the POWs have been sent to the, this one camp because uh, they're sick of them breaking out of all the other camps. So they're yeah. like, hey, let's just get them all here to this one camp where nobody will escape. Uh, below they know that from right when they got there, they had already started planning their escape right away. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it is yeah, it is a camp built for other escapees from other camps to be put there. It's like this is the camp you put you when you've already messed up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Basically, and and you know that's that's uh, one of the things where uh, they brought in the um, they already unloaded all the the prisoners, but then they brought in the uh, air force guy or the the, the pilot lieutenants and all yeah, this. Yeah, and then they're like, we don't take these people here. They say, "Yeah, you're going to. Now we do because yeah. we're going to escape. You know, that's yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. So a very interesting movie. So there's just uh, basically the plot of this: they got all these escapees there, and they're planning this real big escape. And it's like the biggest escape they've ever going to try. They want to take 250 to 300 men out of this camp at one time, uh, which uh, involves digging three different tunnels because if one gets found out, that they have a, two more a to backup, go to, yeah. right? Um, I mean, we're talking everything from papers that you'll need from the day that they leave." To passports, food to, rations, to, new clothes, right? Uh, everything, everything. Uh, and, and the the scrounger guy, uh, you know, he's he's making pickaxes. They're making uh, vents. They're digging the tunnels. They're they're doing everything. And the way to get rid of the rocks, you know, where they they uh, the dirt, yeah, where they just lift up that thing that drops out their legs. Houses in their pants. It's so good. It's such an ingenious method. So there's so much information in this movie that that's that's probably what we're, the most we're going to talk about the movie per se as what we just did. We're going to go dive into all these facts because it's. We're going to intertwine real life events with the movie facts too, because uh, there's yeah. so much stuff going on, the, well, and probably 65 pages of notes here. So I split it up between me. Yeah, and like, 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 like just you know, <coughs> I'm just like prefacing this a little bit. Like this is such a like this is a, a story of a, basically a platoon of soldiers, basically. So like it's incredibly dense because we have you know different like we have so many details from different people all around about like, the entire plan. So like, this is an incredibly dense narrative, of, like how this whole process went together in the film and in real life, of how this escape actually went down, which is incredibly impressive and uh, a huge point of history of just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did all this. So right. you got to say that before we do this is like, this is why like we got a book worth of notes here of just like complete stuff to go through. So right. we're going to um, go through all we can that we find interesting and see what we can do. Right. And, 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 and we may not cover everything. I mean, we're, they're obviously, gonna it's virtually impossible. Out. We'd be here all day if we covered everything. Right, it'd be a six-parter. Yeah. Uh, so here we go. Um, Steve McQueen uh, was really adamant about, I want to do my own stunts. I want to I want to have more screen time than other people. You know, so he, he was really hard to work, to work with, as we've talked about in The Magnificent Seven anyway. Uh, for as good as uh, actor as he was, he was just as bad as mm-hmm. uh, egotistical, I guess. Um, so here we go. Uh, during the climatic motorcycle chase, director John Sturz allowed, they actually allowed Steve McQueen to ride in disguise as one of the pursuing German officers chasing him, so that in the final sequence of the movie, through the magic of editing, he's actually chasing himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
ridiculous. Uh, I love that. McQueen also played the German motorcyclist who hits the wire. Um, and also, uh, it's in here somewhere. I know there's a lot of notes here, but they said during their downtimes and breaks on the set that they would actually have uh, all the actors tying these little black rubber things together uh, all the, and tying them together, tying them together. So that's what the chain link of the fence is all the way around the barbed wire is all yeah. these rubber pieces that the actors put together too. So I thought that was very oh, interesting. Oh, pretty impressive. Uh, one day, the police in the German town where the movie was set up uh, was uh, set up a, a speed trap near the set. Several members of the cast and crew were caught, including Steve McQueen. The chief of police told McQueen, Ed McQueen, we have caught several of your comrades today, but you have won the prize for the highest rate of speed. McQueen was arrested and briefly jailed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Impressive. Uh, one thing with the overall film itself, the individual incidents in the movie are mostly true, but were rearranged as both for timing and the people involved. Um, um, a note at the start of the film acknowledges this. For instance, the, of the 72 who escaped, and, and there were three who got away and 50 who were murdered in the reprisal, but the murders... Um, occurred in small groups, not all once, like it showed in the end of the film there. Um, uh, but 14 Germans were later um, executed after the war for their parts in them uh, for the real crimes, not the right. movie. <laughs> and I think in real life, uh, it wasn't as big as this movie. There was only 76 people that escaped, so they considered it a failure, but they still escaped. So. Yeah. Um, in this movie, several Americans, including Hiltz and Henley, were amongst the escapees. In real life, American officers assisted with the construction of the escape tunnel but weren't amongst the escapees because the Germans had already moved them to a remote compound just before they escaped. So they must have got wind and said, eh. Something's going on here. We've yeah. got to stop it now. Yeah, hopefully cut it off. Uh, several cast members were actually POWs during World War II. This includes Donald Pleasance, who was held in the German camp Stalag Luft One. Hans Messimer was in a Russian camp. And Till Kowie and Hans Reiser were prisoners of the Americans. Pleasance said... The set was very accurate representation of a POW camp. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because like, they had first-hand experience on, like, multiple people of the staff there. Yeah. So they got them um, very close to being, like, perfectly accurate in many cases. You know. And also, like, like um, for, uh, I, I don't know, I could put any individual film on blast there, too, but I feel like a lot of films go too far one way or another where, like, nothing really bad happens in the camp or it's, like, the most oppressive thing in the possible world where this camp is kind of a mix of, like, yeah, it sucks there, but also it's not like, it's not like the most oppressive thing in the possible world. Like it sucks being a prisoner of war, obviously, but it's also it's not like endless dismay. Like they're still gardening, they're still doing a, like a small party or get together some degree. Right. It's not like the end of the world. It's still a place people have to live at the end of the day. Right. Um, I mean, you can see that because they gave them the tools to you know to plant their own gardens and stuff like that too. You know what I mean? So as terrible as the Germans were um, in real life, uh, yeah. this movie they made them you know. It, it's an accurate exchange, not, not like an, like not like an overly vilified as much as it's hard to overly vilify a Nazi, <laughs> right? But I mean, I mean, uh, I think it's different. Um, like if you're talking about Schindler's List, uh, because mm. it's like the Holocaust, you know what I mean, where they were just downright killing people. You know yeah. what I mean? It's totally different. And, it's, and it's a huge difference between a concentration camp and a POW camp, you know, right? You know, obviously, like you know, not like <laughs> if these were Jewish POWs, they'd be treated a lot differently than regular POWs. But these were like you know, regular people as no, not. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little too far ahead of myself in terminology there. But as what uh, the Nazis would consider prisoners of war and not specifically Jews or people they um, like demonized in that way, uh, they treated them relatively humanely as prisoners of war. It wasn't um, inc- it wasn't uh, uh, just uh, 
monstrously cruel, I guess, in that scenario, which is a little more realistic to how they actually treated POWs of that era and reflected actually in the camp. I might be getting a little too far ahead of myself. I'm going to shut up. Now. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to need a, a source. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, as going as they described it in their own film, in the English right. tribunals, they're saying like they had multiple you know, former POWs on that set for devising that set and the, um, so like I said, it's just, it's interesting that they depicted it without like being overly cruel, like monstrously cruel, or like it was like nothing at all. Like it was should, I, should I stop you now or just let you keep rambling? You, you need to hit me with a bat. <laughs> like, okay. Why don't you uh, invite me on podcast? <laughs> uh, Wally Floody was the real life Tunnel King. Um, he was transferred to another camp just before the escape, served as a consultant to the filmmakers almost full time for more than one year. Yeah. So the Tunnel King was involved. That's what I mean. That's where the realism comes in. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. Well, what'd you want him to get, Bugs Bunny? How to take a tunnel? Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like I said, it's impressive they got it right. Like, like, like films, like a lot of films nowadays, like either they go, you know, full on whole hog, like they're the most evil thing in the possible world, and like it is absolutely hellish being in there, or it's like nothing. And it was like, oh, I was prisoner for a day. It was fine. Then I got out. It was no big deal. Like, the like, films just go too far one way or the other. Right. This film gets it right. I appreciate that. Uh, Charles Bronson, uh, who plays Wally, uh, portrays Wally Floody, the tunnel, the chief tunneler, um, uh, brought his own expertise and experiences to the set. He had been a coal miner before turning to acting, and gave director John Sturgis advice on how to move the dirt. As a result of his work in the coal mines, Bronson suffered from claustrophobia, just as his character had in this movie. Oh wow! So yeah. And you can definitely tell, like in his acting, is very, it's very easily like, sold experience of just like you know, just like not being able to all in that tunnel, and uh, how claustrophobic it would be in there. I'd be terrified. You know? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, the real life escape preparations involved six hundred men working for well over a year. The escape did have the desired effect of diverting German resources, including doubling of the number of guards, and the Gestapo took over the camp from the Luftwaffe. The Luftwaffe. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, I think that's you know like. That's another part of the escape attempt that I don't think is getting um, probably not appreciated by most viewers. That like it's not just about escaping, but it's about costing the uh, Germans um, for the resources to, to to keep control of these um, prisoners. You know, it's costing them to um, to like you know, look after and make sure they're not trying to escape. So that's what's also pointing like you know that kind of subterfuge in the war effort is like if you can make yourself expensive to keep, you know, and like but not but not worth just to kill, then it's a that's a good thing to do. You know, that that keeps you still fighting the war in your own way. And that's a really impressive thing that they captured in the film really well. Uh, during production, Charles Bronson met and fell in love with David McCollum's wife, Jill Ireland, and he jokingly told McCollum he was going to steal her away from him. <laughs> and he in, did. <laughs> in 1967, Ireland and McCollum divorced, and she married Charles Bronson. So, <laughs> it's no, true. No. <laughs> uh, the, her. <laughs> the real camp can be visited today in Saigon, Poland, or Sagan, Poland. It's in uh, ruin now, the mostly used for archaeological purposes. A replica of the camp is located 40 kilometers or 25 miles south where you can enter a model uh, of the tunnel, uh, Harry, yourself. Uh, in the movie, they confuse the actual names of the tunnel. So um, it, I think they called them Tom, Dick, and Harry in this. Uh, I believe so. Different yeah. terms, so. Uh, some aspects of the escape remain classified during production and were not revealed until well afterward. The inclusion of chocolate, coffee, and cigarettes in Red Cross packages is well documented as is their use to bribe Nazi guards. Other materials useful for escaping had to be kept secret and were not included in the novel or screenplay. 
Uh, also not revealed until many years later was the fact that the prisoner actually built a fourth tunnel called George. Hmm. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. You got yeah. something over there, Kyle? Um, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, no. I'll just keep going there because you've got a stack of notes in front of you. You're just uh, yeah. looking at me like, sorry, yeah, yeah. keep going, Jimbo. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do my part. Oh. You no. Know. Yeah, I'm just a forger. <laughs> <laughs> well, forger notes and do something. Yeah, yeah. All okay. right. The shooting of the recaptured escapees is one of the charges of the new the Nuremberg um, crime war crime trials against uh, Warman Gro- Herman Goring and the other Nazi leaders. So that was a piece of history. Like these things really did occur of uh, Nazi uh, murdering escapees um, when they shouldn't have been war crimes. Bad. <laughs> Uh, as I said, Donald Plans, uh, Pleasance was an aircrewman and also a POW. Uh, he served in the Royal Air Force during World War II, whose plane was shot down. Man, Donald Pleasance. And then he then he also shot Michael Myers <laughs> of Halloween, <laughs> uh, well, upon which he became a prisoner of war and was tortured by the Germans. When he kindly offered advice to the director, John Sturgis, he was politely asked to keep his opinions to himself. Later, when another actor... Uh, said informed Sturgis that Pleasance was in prison in World War II. German POW camp Sturgis requested his technical advice and it put on histor- historical accuracy from that point going forward. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Um, there's a superstition that whenever a prisoner is attempting to escape is told good luck by a fellow prisoner, the escapee will fail. Ironically, these are the same words the German officer uses that capture Bartlett and McDonald near the end of the movie. Yeah. So kind of one of the funny things, and they also like they capture that early in the film when they have the first um, the, the the fake interview, the Fox interview time, where they are like you know your German's very good. Oh, thank you. It was like that's the thing that everyone slips up on the moment they tell English. You just find English, and that's the thing he falls for later in the film, which is actually kind of funny. If not, they probably sad still. But, right. Um, if you want to look up this on Google Maps or on a map, uh, the actual camp of Stalag Lift Three. Which is in Zag and Poland, as we mentioned. Uh, the map coordinates are as follows: fifty-one point five nine nine zero three six to fifteen point thirty one zero zero three zero. So, comma, I had to get it on Google Earth and zoom into there and see what exactly. we can find. Enhance zoom to some CSI work. And uh, James things. James Garner uh, was uh, uh, used his own personal experiences as a self-description from his company in the Korean War. So James Garner was in the Korean War. And by the way, um, I know some of you aren't on Facebook that listen, but uh, just yesterday, uh, well, I guess it would be about a month from now when you hear this, um, I actually paid for a, a gentleman's uh, dinner at Denim. I was getting my kids some Denny's breakfast and um, I seen this uh, elderly gentleman behind me, and I said, hey, let me just go ahead and pay for your food. Uh, he's like, oh, you don't have to do that. I was like, yeah, I want to. Uh, he was wearing a cold tie, just an elderly gentleman. Paying forward wife, as you were. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so he's like, well, thank you. He's like, uh, you know, you don't have too many more kind people in the world anymore. He's like, I'm 91 years old, and that just about floored me because I was like, man, you look really good for 91. If I look half as good, I thought he was only like 62, 63. I mean, this is how good he looked. And... Um, I said, we started talking, and to come to find out that he was actually a uh, drafted into the Korean War, um, him and his wife had gotten married really young and had a baby, and when he got drafted into the Army, uh, she had to go, and the baby had to go live with his parents, um, because uh, his face told me how his family came out of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. um, sir, uh, went through World War II. Uh, just uh, it's a totally different time and era. So if you ever get a chance to talk to anybody like that, go ahead. I mean, just sit and listen to them. They're amazing people. Um, 
how he had three jobs uh, when he got out uh, of the army. From, from went from Allison's to uh, gas station to I think he said a convenience store or something. He was working three jobs, Kyle. Three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I barely work one. <laughs> you you do work? Do you even work? No. Uh, so um, I just wanted to throw that out there that uh, if you ever see he 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 said you know he's like I wear my. My hat sometimes I got the he was just wearing a cool hat that day, but he said sometimes I wear my I'm a Korean War veteran or whatever. And he said he kind of feel bad when people um, always want to pay something for him or do something for him. I said, look, I said, you deserve it. I said, because some of the freedoms that you fought for, we have today because of you. So um, if you ever see any veterans out there, especially Veterans Day as recording this, I think tomorrow is Veterans Day. Correct. Kyle? I believe you're right. Uh, so um, just. Make sure you say thanks for all that they've done for us. So, yeah. just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, like you know, Jimbo had the fortune of being such a kind gentleman and paying for his meal. I'm incredibly good of you, Jimbo. And also, um, yeah, pay it forward. Um, you know, uh, you know, um, honor your veterans, your local veterans, your uh, international, nationally, and really that. You know, they deserve all the respect they get. And uh, good on them. Yeah, my brother served and everything got to. And just uh, yeah, be good. Be all American. <laughs> be good. Patriot. Patriot. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Oh, here's what I talked about. Also, what you think of the government sometimes, <laughs> right? Go here's what it. I was saying earlier about during idle periods of this movie set was in production. All the cast and crew members, from Steve McQueen and James Garner to production assistants and obscure food service workers, were asked to take thin five-inch strings of black rubber and knot them around other thin strings of black rubber of enormous length. The finished results of all of this knotting were the coils and fences of barbed wire seen throughout the movie. So, how? Interesting. Even like, hey, I'm just here to drop off your food, door dash your food. Oh, by the way, come here. Yeah. <laughs> Do this rub for me. Yeah. Okay. You're going to be here for a while anyways. Come on, get this done. <laughs> yeah. Um, the motorcycle that Hilt uses in his escape attempt was a 1960s British Triumph 650. So. Kyle, you got to get you one of those. I know, right? Oh, my no, God. no. I'll have to get one. Kyle's more of a sidecar guy. <laughs> He's like, knees curled yeah. up. I'm not that short. Just, just full on, one little tiny wheel squeaking, like begging for its life. Let me go. We're, we're turning the corner. Flip over on the side there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Richard Attenborough said many years later, working with Steve McQueen on this movie was one of the toughest challenges he had ever faced, and their onset relationship was not peaceful. McQueen was not combative, but he wouldn't hesitate to let anyone know if things were not as he would wish them to be or believe that they ought to be. Mm-hmm. You know, for as for as strong of a character as uh, McQueen was, he sure they the beginning of this he was kind of silly. Uh, me and Kyle were talking about earlier. There's a scene where Ives and 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 um, yeah, Ives is definitely the most cartoonish character, but yeah. also the most tragic character. But in the movie. but, but yeah. Ives and McQueen are come up with this plan. Uh, they don't know about the the great escape. There's a when are you going to go? They said we're we're going to escape tonight. He said, well, what, what are you going to do? He said, well, he said, Ives is known as a tunnel digger. He said, he's just going to dive in. He's going to shove the, sa- the, the the dirt behind him, and yeah. I'm going to take it and put it behind me to close behind us. And they're, they're like, looking at him like, are you guys stupid? You yeah. know? And then he's like, well, how are you How are you going to breathe? And he said, he's going to take these lead pipes and poke them up through the sand and breathe. And I was like, this is like a bad idea, but but but, but I got so thing. stupid it just might work. Yeah, but everybody's like, "Boy, that's brilliant! Why didn't we think of it?" But I'm thinking to myself, here's Steve McQueen. He's supposed to be this this legendary actor, and this is like a comedic role right here. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. kind of redeems himself towards the end of the movie. But we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. and as much as like you know, Steve McQueen did star in a lot of films, and it says like he's a kind of a a bully to work with on all of those films, but also clearly like you know, not being necessarily hostile, but definitely like um. 
aggressively forward and what he thinks the film should be. And also, he did make a lot of great films. So maybe it was all worth it at the end. Who knows? I mean, making films is tough for everyone, regardless. And so sometimes you need a bully to get things done, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know enough about Stephen McQueen to judge him harshly as a bad person like that on set. No, maybe he was rough to work with, but maybe also he made good films. You know? uh, Paul Brickhill, who wrote the book on which this movie was based, was piloting a Spitfire aircraft that was shot down over Tunisia in March 1943. He was taken to Stalag Luft Three in Germany, where he assisted in the escape preparations. Mm-hmm. Um, at the start of the movie, the, um, all the prisoners have presumably parachuted out of their planes, but they have kept custody. Um, have been kept in custody before getting to the camp, but they have all miraculously kept their officer caps on. None of their clothes have been have uh, been soiled or sweat stained on them. Um, apart from um, Attenborough's collar, the sort of trousers that McQueen wears get grubby in a day. And as for Garner's pristine white turtleneck, <laughs> this stays all good too. So that's one thing, kind of a. <laughs> Kind of funny in the film, but like, yeah, none of the clothes get really dirty. Besides, like, explicit points for like when um, Steve McQueen's you know skirts covered in mud. But have that till he find again, no problem. At all. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, interesting little wardrobe, kind of a not a mistake, but <laughs> but of- and I'm going to throw this in here right now. As 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 you as you watch the movie, everybody just seems to be fine. Um, like, hey, we're here again in another camp. We're going to escape. Blah blah blah. But as the movie progresses, you see. It's taken their toll on these people, um, especially Ives, uh, mm-hmm. Charles Bronson's character, the Tunnel King. Um, he said because he's he's done this seventeen times now. He's dug tunnels seventeen. Yeah. He said I can't take it anymore. Ives is Ives is already going crazy, and this is where he just makes a beeline for the fence. He's he's getting out of there. He can't, and then they shoot him on the fence, and he's just hanging there. That, I mean, it's a tough, tough. Yeah, it's a horrible thing to watch. watch. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. To so watch. even as good as they were in the in the movie, you know, the, the, it was taking their toll on them. It just it was taking their toll on them, and also it's uh, and uh, this, this is it was clearly the right action what they did in trying to escape, but also that is an immense pressure that's put on both sides of them because like one hand like you're being kept prisoner by the Nazis, but also all your peers and other prisoners want you to contribute in helping the escape effort going on too, and that has to be a tremendous mental pressure on you to continuously you're working day in and day night trying to work on the escape attempt and then also trying to appear um, uh, unsuspicious while in the morning time. And for everyone involved in the situation, that has to take a mental toll on it, even in a wartime scenario, trying to, to, you know, not everyone is capable of kind of shutting themselves down to be in that workhorse mode of getting that stuff done. So it was uh, incredible sad to see Ives die and, and uh, you know, basically commit suicide in that way. And uh, so it just kind of shows like, the kind of immense stress that everyone down in that uh, um in that um, POW camp went through. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judd Taylor, who played golf, said that the camp was so uh, set was so realistic and authentic and impressive that one day he came upon a man walking his dog who was very distressed when he came upon the site. The man was greatly relieved, however, when he learned it was just a movie set. So <laughs> they must put in some really good detail. Um, yeah, to just pull a passerby, like, what in the world was going on here? Yeah. Um, the transport truck that was carrying the 50, the 50 prisoners at the end of the movie um, to be shot was uh, had modern brake light on it, early, uh, you know, circa, like, early 1960s truck. Uh, military trucks, especially during the war, either had no brake lights or taillights or only one very small red light at the rear there. Right. So it was a little fun. is a little detail they just couldn't get quite right. Because they just, you know, those 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 trucks didn't have brake lights because they didn't need them during the war. <laughs> um, although Steve McQueen did all of uh, his own motorcycle riding, there was one stunt he did not perform: the hair-raising five-foot jump over a fence. 
This was done by McQueen's friend Bud Edkins, who was managing a Los Angeles area motorcycle shop when recruited for this stunt. Um, he also um, he did attempt it, uh, but to jump the border fence, but he crashed. So Bud Edkins had to do it, take over, and do that. Yep. Also, um, Hilt's baseball glove that was seen in the print in the film was a uh, present day for the time, i.e., like late fifties, early sixties model. So it was a uh, far too modern for what have been the a wartime baseball glove for the nineteen forties. Right. Um, also, uh, Danny says that all he knew was "I love you" in Russian. Actually, Charles Bronson was fluent in Russian and spoke it as a first language from childhood. So I thought that was really an interesting point because he sounded really good. Well, now you know why because he was fluent and it's his yeah. childhood. Uh, this movie was shot entirely on location in Europe um, with a complete set built in Munich, Germany. Um, exteriors for the escape sequence were shot in the Rhine, count, uh, Rhine country areas and near the North Sea. And Steve McQueen motorcycle scenes were filmed in Fusen on the Austri- Austrian border and the Alps. All interiors were filmed at the Bavaria studio in Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, in the opening scenes after Hilton Ives are um, uh, caught after their first escape attempts they're sentenced to 20 days each in the cooler by the commandant um, but when Hilts and Ives are releasing the cooler um, Hilts counts 14 day marks on the wall and he's counting the 15th day on his fingers the door opens as they walk out so they didn't send the full 20 days there just 15 maybe he didn't have chalk the first couple of days I thought that was very funny too as soon as they got there they they just tried to escape you know like jumping in the uh, Amelia, jumping in the yeah, trees yeah, yeah. you know the, the, the trucks yeah. going out with the trees and everything and then uh, what was the other one because um, oh, Charles Bronson characters uh, like basically started to fight then like took on a coat and yeah. a shovel and just like he's oh, trying I'm to go out the miners yeah but uh, like you know, then the, the German guys like stop, you know, and he, and he goes with the pitchfork, you know, trying to stab the truck. Like, yeah, and then like yeah. all of them pop out. Like, we're out, we're out. Don't worry. Uh, the tunnel sets were uh, constructed of wood and skins filled with a plaster and dirt and open on one end with a dolly track around the length of the set in order to shoot the scenes of prisoners scooting along through them. I was claustrophobic just watching it. You know mm. what I mean? Uh, oh, yeah, that works. Couldn't do it. I couldn't mm. do it. You just I'd be freaking to- out. No, it's just, you know, immense pressure to keep your cool in those scenarios. Yeah, uh, when celebrating the 4th of July and pouring the alcohol that they, they made from all those potatoes they stole, uh, Hiltz uh, is thrown off by an ad lib by Goff. When Hiltz is drinking, Goff says, No taxation without representation. <laughs> McQueen jumps out of character, gives him a look, and mouths, What? <laughs> uh, director John Sturgis must have signaled to just go with it, and the scene continued, but it's obviously ad libbed. <laughs> <So, laughs> what are you talking What are you doing? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, after Ashley Pitt demonstrates how to dispose of the dirt they've been trying to dig for the tunnels, the entire camp sets about making gardens to implement the scheme. However, for the rest of the film, there are no gardens anywhere to be seen. Right. So it's just like, like just assume it happens. Don't worry. But we're not going to show it anymore. <laughs> and, you know, that'd be very interesting, too, because this, you know, what they, we say, the real life, it took 600 men over a year to do. It'd been cool to see how the, the plants grew, you know, the, how because that was rough soil, you know what I mean? Yeah. If anything, like, like you know, someday maybe they get, like, a Grid Escape series, actually, for, like, a whole miniseries. Sure. Like, anything, like, it was. Like, it was called Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah. But definitely, like, you can, you can, you can see stories where you, dim, where you, you know, you have hours of footage to demonstrating this entire process of this entire escape scene and uh, very impressive everything you did to get this whole thing right. you know, done the way And I'm way. sure there was stuff that they wanted to add to the movie that probably had to be cut out because it's a long movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, almost yeah. three hours long. Well, like said, like, that's what I mean. Like, a miniseries, like, this could be a 10-hour movie easily. Yeah. If everything they probably have to film and cut out, probably. Um, yeah. Steve McQueen accepts the role uh, on the condition he got to show his motorcycle skills. The motorcycle scenes are not based on real life, so... 
That was all just ad for Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> uh, for the train sequences, a railroad engine was rented and two condemned cars were purchased and modified to house the camera equipment. Scenes were shot on the single rail line between Munich and Hamburg, and a railroad representative was on hand to advise the filmmakers when to pull aside to avoid hitting scheduled oncoming trains. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That would have been bad. <laughs> Real bad. Yeah. Uh, the German characters were cast from actors out of Munich, including Hans Messmer and Till Kiwi. Both had their own prisoner of war experiences. Messmer had been captured on the Eastern Front by the Soviet Army, escaped, and walked hundreds of miles to the German border. Hundreds of miles to the German border, Kyle. Uh, Frick served time in the American prison camp in Arizona. Uh, he tried to escape 17 times. Wow. Jeez. So they actually had a lot of escapees, not just from America, you know what I mean? Yeah, like if you were there, yeah, like that was your main job, just trying to find a way to escape. So and they just they represented that in the whole film, too, and in real life. Uh, the actual escape from Stalag Luft III occurred on March 24, 1944, which was Steve McQueen's 14th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm trying to find my next fun fact okay, guys. I keep going. Uh, there is a movie company called Virgil Films it's used the sound of Virgil Hiltz bouncing his baseball inside the cooler as the introduction to his movie the you know where he's bouncing oh, yeah. the ball and I always wondered why did they let him take the baseball glove in there uh, you know, I guess he had it on at the time, so he just kept on holding it. You know, I mean, if he's been doing this long enough now, he probably has at least one thing. Like they just like, okay, we're not going to fight him for this. You know, that uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. Okay. The position of the propeller, the propeller crank when Henley first hands it the column, and and when Henley is it turn it. Uh, oh, uh, they they change position when Henley um, goes to get the propeller and crank it to start the car, right. start the plane. I mean, and then when he hands it to Henley, it's in a different position. It's <laughs> a fun fact: a little editing error there. No. Uh, no American POWs participated in the actual Great Escape in Real Life, as suggested in this movie. Some American POWs helped with the digging of the tunnel, Tom, but they were moved to another camp seven months earlier. The reason only the American POWs were moved was because American troops were advancing towards the camp. The Germans moved them to a camp farther away to keep them from aiding their countrymen. Yeah. Um, in, in the movie's last scene, when Steve McQueen returns to the camp, his sweatshirt is full of holes from being tangled in the barbed wire. But when he enters the, coo- when he enters the cooler, though, all his holes are miraculously gone. Ta da! Ta da! Steve McQueen. I gotta look good. Yeah. Uh, Steve McQueen and James Garner became really good friends on this movie set. They bonded over their love of cars. Mm. One of the masterminds for the real Great Escape was Wing Commander Harry Day. He isn't directly portrayed in this movie. However, the book on which this movie was based by Paul Brickhill correctly tells his story. Arguably, his story is the most impressive of the lot, having participated in at least four other mass breakouts and two solo attempts prior to The Great Escape, twice getting free from the camp before recapture. He was one of the first out of the tunnel, but was recaptured in Stettin, trying uh, to get help uh, to gain passage out of Germany. He was spared execution and sent to Sachsenhausen concentration camp with three other escapees. There, they dug another tunnel and escaped with another British officer. It's widely believed that they were the only people ever to survive and escape from that camp. All were recaptured and held in solitary confinement until being used as hostages at the end of the war. Escaping from his captives, he reached Allied lines and was instrumental in securing the safe release of other hostages. Wow. 
Yeah. Um, another fun fact: as prisoners arrive in Stalag Three, many of the carrying many are carrying their belongings in duffel bags or suitcases, which is uh, unrealistic. They may have been received some real. They <laughs> may have. Sack. Yeah, they may have received some extra clothing like socks, underwear from the Red Cross, but luggage would not have been added, would not have been needed or supplied. Almost all the prisoners taken by the Nazis in 1943 were airmen who had been shot down and parachuted to safety and eventual capture. The airmen did not pack overnight bags for their missions, for obvious reasons. Uh, the gold medallion Steve McQueen wears throughout this movie was a present from his wife. Uh, this is a this is a great thing uh, that you see that I wish more movies would do. But uh, this movie was shot on location in a German forest. To make room for the campsite, several trees had to be bulldozed. Director John Sturgis had to show the West German Minister of the Interior his plans and, to get permission to bulldoze, had to promise to plant two seeds for every tree felled when production was over. So uh, for every tree they tore down, they, they planted two new ones. So I thought that was very, very... It's a fair, a fair yeah. exchange, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the film shows the executions at the end being carried out by uniformed German troops using a machine gun. In reality, these executions would have been carried out by Gestapo agents who were using pistols at close range yeah. in the unfortunate realities. Uh, the last surviving participant in the actual escape, Dick Churchill, died in 2019 at the age of 99. 99. Which I, have li- I hope I live a little bit long. <laughs> hope I live to be that long. No, I. Hey, Jimbo, do you know how words go back and forth? Left to right? I hope I live to be that old. There we go. I hope I live to see that age. That's another good sense. The way I said the first time, totally flubbered. (laughs) During the jump sequence, the crew was warned at the last possible second that the crane was about to slam into a pole. It was withdrawn just in the nick of time. Although top billed, Steve McQueen's salary was only $87,500, while James Garner earned a whopping $150,000. Steve McQueen reportedly rarely mingled with others away from the set, preferring to stay in the chalet he rented for himself and his family and traveling to the set each day in a chauffeur-driven limousine. (laughs) (sighs) Throughout the film, actors were seen wearing rings and watches. Um, No allied prisoner of war would have been allowed to keep anything remotely this valuable or useful for themselves. And if they were, lower grade guards guards and administrators would have targeted them for abuse and or theft. Mm. So, another cruel reality of the actual war. (laughs) They would not have kept those watches and rings. Uh, When Henley is saying goodbye to Ashley Pitts on the train, he says, Tally-ho, this is what RAF pilots called out when they spotted Germans. Henley was warning them. Um, as described in the book and the movie, the entry shafts of the tunnel were dug 30 feet straight deep. When Hiltz breaks out of the tunnel, he is standing in the end chamber and is able to reach up and pull down the turf and grass. This implies that the tunnel is at some point was dug at, on an upward slant. In fact, this bit of engineering was contemplated and discussed by the escape beat committee. But in the end, it was rejected because of the safety concerns with the trolleys. The actual tunnel did not have a vertical exit shaft. So, oh, so it just dug out to the side of a mountain or something? Basically, yeah. Huh. The actual tunnel did not have did oh did have a long vertical exit shaft. So yeah, oh, it was, okay. It was thirty feet deep, dug horizontal, then thirty feet up. So that was the only way they did it. Well, I don't I don't think they made it quite far enough. Remember when they were trying? Well, to yeah, make, yeah. But <laughs> well, according in, to the movie, in reality, that was the attempt basically of just right. going you know straight down horizontal, then straight up, not a not a um, uh, uh, slope. So, uh, we already talked about the Tunnel King Danny uh, suffer from claustrophobic, uh, claustrophobia in this movie. 
Uh, Paul Brickell, who wrote the book on the witch film, also has claustrophobia. He was originally allotted an early place in line for the escape, but when his condition became known, he was dropped to the bottom of the list, and he credits this for probably saving his life. Oh, wow. You know, that's serious stuff. I'm going to have to find this book. I think it's... Yeah, I have to look it up sometime. I have to uh, Audible or something. Yeah. This film features no main female characters. I don't know if there's a female in... Well, I guess once they break out, there's some, but... Um, yeah, some background characters, no doubt. Yeah, but, but, yeah. The, but the, the director, was they, they wanted to... I think, I forgot who they said, the Paramount, or whoever did this, uh, wanted to put like a female uh, lead in there for one of the people when they break out or whatever. And he's like, look, there's no room for uh, a female in a Prisoner of War movie. I was like, man... <laughs> So I was like, okay, it, it, well, especially for World War Two, at least right. a lot of a uh, you know dark ideas of what the, how they would treat a female prisoner in a you know war film, and it goes dark quick. Um, okay, um, at least one escapee in the film is dressed as a German guard. While this is against all standard protocols, and being caught in uniform would be considered an act of spying, punishable by execution after torture. Um, the source book itself states one of the escapees, Toplotsky, um, did in fact disguise himself as a Luftwaffe. Um, Unter officer. That's so, hilarious. At least one. At least one guy was like, "Yeah, sure, I'm going to go out this." Like, that's. <laughs> if that I'm going to go, I'm going to go out with a bang. That is a yeah. bold choice that could lead to some very dire consequences. I don't know how it turned out for him. I had to look up notes later for how he did. <laughs> Although this film is based on a historical event, all the characters are fictional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is said that John Sturgis did not get. Oh, here it is. Oh no, John Sturgis did not get any Academy nomination because he was not the Hollywood type at all. He did not get votes by attending night dinners and parties. No one remembers him going to a business party, so he didn't, you know, run with the normal crowd. Yeah. Um, when Hiltz is escaping the motorbike, he clearly gets lost and has no idea which direction Switzerland in. But as the weather is sunny, he could have easily used the sun position to go west. Um, perhaps he just didn't think of it. <laughs> so. uh, the filming schedule was changed due to heavy rain, meaning the interiors for, uh, from the middle portion of the movie were shot first. Um, here we go. The official report about the escape claims that 76 prisoners got out in the film. Only three of the characters are shown making it all the way to freedom. Sedgwick, Danny, and Willie. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ashley Pitt comes up with the idea to get rid of the tunnel dirt, um, shows them depositing dirt in the gardens the men are working on. They also show men marching with dirt coming out of their trousers. That was funny. Too. If they were marching and swinging their arms, how could they pull the cords in their pockets, though? Oh, that is a great, great catch. Yeah, so that's an interesting little factoid there. Um, I, I, to my guess, they'd be like they just shook it enough where eventually they all kind of kept out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is an urban legend for this movie that says. Harrison Ford turns up in this movie as an uncredited non-speaking extra four years before his first credit appearance in the movie or on television. The scene from where this theory comes from is when Bartlett and McDonald are on board the train and find themselves sat down opposite two uniformed German officers and are then asked for their travel passes by an undercover Gestapo man. As the camera changes angles in the foreground, there is a Nazi youth with a brown shirt, tie, and a swastika band on his left arm. This youth does indeed bear a striking resemblance to a youthful young Harrison Ford, uh, who would have been 19 or 20 years old when this scene was filmed in 1962. However, there are two facts that indicate this is almost certainly not Ford. Firstly, this movie was shot completely in southern Germany, so it's more than likely a local person who was hired as an extra. The second fact is that on close examination of the person in question, he seems to have a Kirk Douglas-type dimple chin, which Ford does not have. Yeah. 
Um, when Danny starts the first tunnel, in order to camouflage the sound of his pick, a man outside uses a sledgehammer to simultaneously drive a metal stake into the ground. It is never explained why the Germans would have approved this, given the man, the stake, and the sledgehammer, or what the purpose of the stake was. The stake is never again seen in the movie, or neither is the man who held the sledgehammer. Right. I was like, what? what, what they is just kind of dropped that off. Like, oh, yeah. Like, once again, like they, they just give like a, a very loose explanation for how they got away with it, and then they never mention it again for the rest of the movie. You know what? Uh, they kind of, they kind of remind me of that scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where... Harris Fordham are in that library and he takes that thing and he starts banging on the thing and the guy's taking his stamp bibber and he's stamping the books and yeah. he's like looking at it like what? In the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, during the preparation of the movie and the building of the camp it was heavily raining so it was uh, even though it was full spring locals said it was the worst weather they had had since uh, 38 years. 38 years and of course some of these movies that we talk about always gets the worst weather when they're filming in oh, yeah. history. It's it's the it's the more law. If it can't go wrong, it will. Now, bad weather in movies is something happens all the time. That's recently I think uh, the movie The Fallen that we did with Denzel Washington yeah. had a lot of similar things. Right, the weather just was awful to them the, whole, the entire way. Uh, in reality, the escape attempt in March 1944 was widely regarded as a failure. Um, when Hiltz is playing the Fifey on the Fourth of July, his hands are in the wrong positions, both on the outside of the Fifey, um, while anyone actually playing the instrument would have the right hand on the other side. Did you just call it a Fifey? I did just call it a Fifey. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. This is a random note I just found. I just like I need to read something, so I'm just gonna read this. And it's I a five, ain't it? It's a five. That sounds that sounds better. You know, Fifey goes west. Fifey goes west. <laughs> You know, um, Steve McQueen, you should have played a flute. I don't know. Oh, Kyle. Uh, the working title of this movie was also known as The Last Escape. Um, let's see here. When the tunnel collapses on Willie and Danny goes in head first them to rescue him, he also comes out head first. Um, but that makes no sense because there was no way he could have turned around in the tunnel. You know, it's yeah. how thin it was. So you got anything else over there, Kyle? Ooh, just a whole lot of uh, small mistakes or whatever. Um, it's not really worth mentioning, in my opinion. Okay. So we'll just go on forward. So, Kyle, what's your thoughts, feelings on the the Great Escape? The Great Escape is a seminal work of uh, cinema and uh, absolutely worth watching today, now, and forever in the future. Um, uh, one of those films that just um, always reward yourself on repeat viewing and initial viewings. Um Appropriate for most audiences, I imagine, and um, overall, just one of the best films in the whole world. Um, I don't know if I'm wow, gonna, you I, say you yeah, really yeah, yeah. you put I mean, it in your like your top. That, you know, I, I I'm not a fan like usually doing top tens or top fives, but definitely uh, it belongs in the um, the same company as the greatest movies of all time. It really does. Nice. And so I don't like putting it there at all. I feel totally comfortable putting it in that kind of position. So it definitely um it it it, it has good company. It's some of the best films I ever appreciated in my entire life. So um, I love this film to death and uh, worth watching anytime you guys get a chance. Um, so that's my feelings on the film. Right. Jimbo, and, and, um, and we talked about this earlier. Um, what what kind of all-star cast dude um oh, yeah. you, you try to do that these this day and age you only get bought two maybe three stars um even when they did the marvel movies and they brought them all together they each had to go through their own series first to <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like for much as i enjoy like marvel cinematic universe films those are the kind of the only films now that have like all-star casts that are like okay 20 plus 
big star names. Um, but in general, like most movies nowadays, don't have nearly the same kind of cast level they have now, and that makes sense because like now they, you know, now they demand huge prices and all those kind of things. It's expensive, but right. it's still sad to not see. Maybe that the only thing I can come close recently was probably the Expendables, where they brought back all the action heroes of the eighties and nineties. Yeah, you know? yeah, but also it was like they brought back all the heroes from the eighties. 25 years after they stopped being relevant. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's the whole point of the content so, Expendables. Um, I'm going to have to agree with you. This is another one of my personal favorite movies. Uh, and I think the reason I like it so much is because it's based on true events. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, sometimes we get numb um, remembering what our freedoms were based upon and what some of the people that gave their life for um, you can see this in where, when Ives gets killed in this movie or, you know, some of the other ones get shot, killed. Um, and it's just a small, small uh, realization of what actually happened. Uh, a lot of people died in World War II uh, yeah. uh, fighting for, for your freedom. And I think that's what gets me about this movie is it's just a small reminder of the what really happened. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, you know, so many liberties that we have today that... Um, in fairness, they should have always been taken for granted. They should have always been a thing that we should have always had. But unfortunately, they've had to be hard fought for for centuries even. Not mm-hmm. just World War II. But and all, still being all, continued to fight for. Exactly. Especially for minorities or anyone else in a, in a, in a small group. Um, it is incredibly hard to get treated with dignity um, in the world. And uh, we've come an incredibly long way. And it is thanks to people that are being depicted in this film of, uh, you know, World War II heroes and other wars and even in civil rights um, workers and all kind of things. And it's, uh, it's, it can be incredibly disheartening to, sign, to see how much hard work it took to get there, but also um, also incredibly inspiring to see the people who are willing to pay those kind of prices. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have to admit, uh, I definitely think everybody should watch this movie at least once. Um, and... I would say purchase it. It's 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 that good of a movie that it should be in your collection at some point if you're if you're a fan of movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of cinema at all, you know, it's like one of those things. that's like you know, like you know, um, we I, we we base a lot of the movies we cover like the the thousand films you see before you die or whatever. Like, yeah, it, it, it is on there. It is on there for sure. But also like you know, we can definitely say like he's like if you own movies. You should watch The Great Escape. That's just kind of one of those things where, like, if you consider yourself any one of a cinema fan, you should watch The Great Escape at least once. You, you, you know, it's something that deserves to be experienced if you experience films. Right. Um, so that's uh, the way we feel about it. Well, I think next week we are going to take a, a dive back into uh, the sports arena. I do believe that next week we will be covering, um, what's his name? Uh, Al Pacino in. Um, Oh, no, no, Robert Raging, De Niro, uh, Raging Bull. Yeah, Al Pacino's in there too, though, right? Who no, is? I don't think so. He was. Okay, uh, Robert De Niro, yes, Raging Bull. Yeah, uh, it was, boxing it, movie. And I just watched it for the first time the other day, and it was, I thought it was a lot older movie than it was. It was only 1980, I do believe it came out. So, time uh, to But it's a black it, and white so. film, and it's very, very interesting. So, yeah, But excited. enough about that. We'll talk about that next week. So, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, continued support. And we got some big things coming up, hopefully, uh, sometime next year that I'll keep you guys posted about. So, uh, thanks for listening. And I think that's a wrap on this episode. And Kyle. cut.